Hey everybody, happy March 23rd. I cannot believe how fast March is going. I really can't believe how fast this year is going. So I am here to share a little bit more of my story of hope with you all. I Today episode, I am going to talk a little bit about my alcoholism and my addiction and the struggle I went through to finally get to the point where I was sick and tired of being sick and tired. Um, It stems way back, you know, throughout my journey and throughout this podcast, I'm going to be sharing so many different stories of hope that I have of my own struggles, but I'm also going to be sharing hope of others that have been through struggles that have gotten them to their strength to where they can offer you hope. So when I, when I tried to figure out today, what am I going to talk about today? I thought, you know what, I'm going to go right to the basic, the core of my addiction. Uh, Started out drinking and partying at a very young age, probably about 11, I would say. I had my first cigarette, 12, my first drink, and my first marijuana joint. So I started very young. I came from a family that was um, a bunch of Irish Catholic drinkers. That's what we did, right? That's what they did. Poker on the weekends, both sides of the family. My father was a very... um, practicing alcoholic, practicing abuser, very, very, um, uh, what do I want to say? Very sick individual. And our household is very toxic. So that's how I grew up. I'm never going to blame my dad for my addiction though, because it was my choice, but he, um, he taught me definitely what I shouldn't be. And at the same time, I tried to see if maybe I could overcome it like he could not. So when I was 13 years old, my father passed away from his addiction. Um, he was 34 years old, a very young age. I was 13, like I said, and my sister was eight. I think back now to how young we were, and I think more of how young my mom was. You know, she was just um, 33 years old, a, a mom that was broken, beaten, battered physically, emotionally, all of the things. And to walk into the bathroom one day and find your husband in the bathtub, dead, drowned in the bathtub. Um, I just can't even imagine what that was like for her and for me. I walked in right behind her. I will never wish that on anyone to vision something like that. So after my dad passed away, um, my mom went right into another relationship, which I don't blame her for that at all because she got swept off her feet. But this isn't about my mom. This is about me. So as my dad had passed away, imagine being a 13-year-old girl and having to live with that trauma and also living with the trauma of your fellow peers because my dad with his alcoholism had been taken away from our house in an ambulance many times. I was harassed a lot about my dad and he was crazy and all the things. And I'd always just hit it and brushed it off. Well, as um, he had passed away, which I knew it was from alcoholism, I wrote a poem because I, Tammy Lynn Connors, was not going to be that alcoholic. Tammy Lynn Connors was not going to be that person that um, was suffering and drowning in her sorrows every day. And this was my poem I wrote. Now, I remind you, this was when I was 13 alcoholism. At first you can handle alcohol. You have great fun. Yes, a real ball. Then one day alcohol will control you and there isn't a lot you can do. You try to overpower the urges, but eventually they become weekend splurges. It is amazing how it can control your life, even though sometimes it feels like you're being cut by a knife.
Your entire family will suffer from alcoholism, but alcoholics all alcoholics, excuse me, always seem to have a reason. Someday you will hit a rock bottom. When that happens, you will feel rotten. You will feel like things won't ever get better. Most likely you will try and write a suicide letter. Hopefully your bottom will come before it's too late because statistics show insanity or death is an alcoholic's fate. So don't think your mind can be at ease because alcoholism is definitely a killer disease. Tammy Lynn Connors. So I wrote that poem thinking there is no way I'm going to be that, right? There's no way. So this is at 13 years old. The stories from 13 till my full-fledged addiction, well, I will share those on another day. It's a long, long story, you guys. This episode or this podcast can be going for many years because I have 55 years to tell you about. So, you know, I go through my teenage years, stepdad, stepfamily, all of that stuff, go on, get married right out of high school, 1984. I graduated in 1983, needed to get out of the house. So I get married right away. Um, my husband, he was, he was a good guy. I mean, honestly, he drank a lot too, though. And very, um, had a lot of social anxiety, I believe is what we would call it nowadays. So he wanted to stay home a lot. And I, if anybody knows me at this time in my life or any time in my life, I've always been a social butterfly. I mean, I've been tracked down in the hallways by my principals going, Timmy, you're a social butterfly. I know. So that's what I do. But he wanted to stay home all the time. And eventually I just couldn't do that anymore. So I decided that it would be better if I just took off and got divorced. Um, I left him for somebody else that I had known for many years. And that was the father of my children. Um, I thought I could change him. He was in and out of prison. He was not a good person. Um, but I was going to be the one to change him. He had two children who are my bonus children who I love with all my heart and they will be part of my story too. And, um, we were together, geez, I would say 1987 and 1989, I had my first child. I had Chad. Um, he is now 31 years old. He is the, what do you call it? Apple of my eye. Um, you say his name and my face is going to light up with a big smile. Um, I had Chad and we, you know, we tried, we drank a little bit together. Um, Pre-Chad, we partied together. Pre-Chad, we did a lot of things together. Pre-Chad. Um, always ended up in a fight, very domestic violence. That's going to be a whole nother podcast. And we evolved into having our children. Um, in 1992, I had my second son, Cody Mitchell. Um, you will not be able to meet Cody because he um, is in heaven. Um, he passed away from SIDS at six months old. That is going to be another part of my podcast. Um, so in 1992, we were going to be finished, Scott and I, and um, he was going to be moving away and I was going to be just raising the boys. And unfortunately, the day that he was leaving was the day that our baby passed away. So at that point, um, we tried to stay together longer. We tried to make the relationship work, but with him being a addict, alcoholic, abuser, it just was not going to work. Now, at this time in my life, I drank a little bit here and there, but I did not drink like what I had become eventually. Um, finally, it was probably Chad was five. I finally said, that's it. I'm done. I moved out. Um, Chad and I had a little mobile home that we lived in, and I brought another man into my son's world. Um, 
you know, it was just, I always me feeling like I needed that. And, um, he was a younger guy, partied a lot. Um, at this point, like I said, Chad was five. I was drinking, but not as much. Well, I, um, decided that drinking was an everyday thing for me. And here I am starting to drink every day of my life. Um, from the time Chad was five till he was eight, we lived with, he, well, this guy lived with me, I should say. And, um, partied a lot, a lot of fishing, a lot of NASCAR, just a lot of partying, you know, Chad would go with his grandparents a lot. And then when Chad was eight years old, I was like, okay, I'm done with this guy because all he wanted to do was drink, hunt, fish, and watch NASCAR racing. And I was finished with all this. And so I moved on and um, I worked at the golf course and Chad and I moved into a house. We lived upstairs. Now at this point, Chad is eight years old. I'm taking him to a new school. I don't even honestly, not even thinking of, you know, all the changes that is happening in his life. Right now, the, the benefit of this school and where we moved to was he was closer to his brother and sister and um, what a blessing that was. So now we're closer to Nick and Heather. He's going to school where his brother and sister are going to school. So at least I'm feeling a little bit better about that. Now, mind you, at this point, I'm a single mom, which I had been for a long time, but working and trying to make sure that my son had everything that I thought he needed. But what he really needed was me. Um, Take a breath. Okay. What he needed was his mom. Um, from that time, he was eight years old. I worked a lot. I really did. And and I drank a lot. Um, I was working 50 to 70 hours a week, you know, making sure the golf course was going well. We were open for um, winter time dinners and things like that. So I was always working. I would bring Chad to work with me. The poor kid, he would sit on a stool and do his homework. And I think about that all the time. Like he spent so much time at my job or at my parents, or at his other grandparents. And just all the time I was pushing him like, yeah, he can go stay here. Yeah, he can go stay here. Yep, you can stay here. Yes, you can go do this. Yes, you can go do this. And all the time I was neglecting being there for him. Um, I drank all the time at this point. Okay. So now I'm, I'm getting ready to go into my full-fledged addiction. I say this wholeheartedly, and I mean this with all my heart, you read my poem. My job for myself, I thought, was to not be an alcoholic. My job was to prevent myself from being that. My job was to not let it happen to me. Well, it doesn't work like that. And I tell people this all the time. You know, you're you're struggling, you're getting through, but you're like, yeah, I'm not going to be the, I'm not going to be an alcoholic. I'm not going to be like that. Well, one day that bottle might just take you over. And that's when you get the physical addiction to it. And that's where I was at. So I'm drinking every day. You know, I'm not thinking of that I'm an alcoholic at this point. I'm drinking every day. I'm at work. I'm very, very, very much a functioning alcoholic. I'm managing the restaurant. I'm managing beer carts. I'm working and taking care of the bills and doing all the things that I'm supposed to be doing, at least I think. And um, as I'm going through, of course, I have issues with this and that, and I've got men issues. I have just um, self-esteem issues. I have character defaults, and I'm just not really loving myself much, but I'm going through the motions and I'm pretending that I do. So I worked at the golf course till um, 2001. Well, in, in 2000, 
I had been in and out of the hospital a couple times at this point. Um, never did I believe that it was for my drinking. Now, I told you that my dad was very sick. My dad was in and out of the hospital for years, um, always vomiting, always sick, had a third of his stomach removed, all things, and never knew what it was. Um, and here I was in and out of the hospital, vomiting every day, but never did I admit that it was alcohol. And I remember in 2000, um, people asked me, you know, how many times did you quit drinking before you really quit drinking? And there was only one time that I quit before this. And it was in 2000. And it was when um, I'd been in the hospital and the doctors told me, you have acute pancreatitis. You need to stop drinking. I said, okay. So I did for a minute, like a short, brief moment. And then I would start drinking O'Doul's. And I was like, oh, I'm good. Well, then, I, of course, I started feeling better. So back to the drinking I went. So that was in 2000. Now, by this time, I'm drinking every day. Um, pretty much if my eyes were open, I was drinking. Um, 2001, I got a new job at another at a sports bar this time. And um, my drinking just escalated. Um, I could drink when I was at work. Um, I would not that I'm proud of anything, but I would drink all the time at work. Um, I would go down in the cooler. I would drink half of Mike's Hard Lemonade. I would um, make margaritas. I would have to test them. Um, I would even do this, and this is crazy that I would do this with my staff. I would be like, hey, guys, let's have a meeting out on the back patio, and we'd all go out there and have a drink. And I just did it because then I didn't feel like I was in the wrong because everybody was having a drink. Um, at this point, my drinking is escalating. It is, um, just the shakes, the, I can't get through my day. Um, I was working at the restaurant and I was also working as a um, receptionist at a pediatric um, doctor's office. And I would literally some mornings, if I didn't have any vodka or anything at home, and I'll say anything at home, you'll hear what I mean by that in a minute. Um, I would stop at the bar, which was way out of my way. And I would stop there just to get a drink. And I knew exactly where to stand. So the camera wouldn't see me. The girls that were cleaning would be like, Oh, what are you doing here? Like, oh, I forgot to do something last night. I pour myself a drink. I drink it down so I could at least just get to, to the job and get through to lunchtime till I could go get another drink. Um, so I did this for, um, a good, so 2001 till 2003, every day, just drinking, drinking, drinking. And I can remember one morning waking up and um, looking in the mirror. And at this point, I had no alcohol in my house except for a bottle of Listerine. And through the um, years of my ex's um, alcoholism, I sat through many AA meetings. I sat through and listened to many stories. And I can remember people saying, yeah, and I even drank a shot of Listerine. And I was like, oh, I can drink Listerine. And I remember drinking that shot of Listerine and looking at myself in the mirror going, oh my gosh, you are an alcoholic and you have no control over your life right now. Um, this was, like I said, in about 2003, from 2003 until I quit drinking in 2004, I just want you all to know it was probably, sorry, I don't really mean to say sorry, but besides losing my son, this was probably the worst year of my life. Um, every day I woke up. Every day I was vomiting. Every day I was shaking. Every day I just 
wanted to get through the day. Um, at that point in my life, I didn't care about anything except for my bottles, which was vodka, because nobody knows you're drinking if you have vodka. I cared about my son. Well, he was number one on my list, but not enough to quit drinking. Um, and I cared about the drugs that I was taking to get rid of the pain that I was feeling every day. Um, like I said, it escalated that last year. I was, um, I would say I drank at least about a fifth of vodka a day, and I'm not even exaggerating. Um, I was in and out of the hospital at least, oh, geez, I would say in that year, five times. Um, I even one time was going on a trip with my son and a good friend of mine and her kids, and we were driving to New Orleans to go on a cruise, and they had to drop me off at a hospital in Kentucky because I was so sick I couldn't make it, but I refused to say that it was alcohol. This is where the mindset of an alcoholic addict comes in. I refuse to believe that I was an alcoholic. Um, when I get to my story of my hope, where I'm getting to in just a moment, um, it all changed quickly, and this is how it all changed quickly. I, like I said, I was in the hospital. I got out. I remember it was um, Super Bowl was probably my last memory besides um, when I decided to get sober. But that Super Bowl was the Super Bowl. And I can remind everybody of this when Janet Jackson had a little flaw with her top. Um, I don't remember it. I was so intoxicated. I don't remember that happening. And I um, I went to, I had a boyfriend at the time um, and I went to his house and I ruined his white couch. I was so sick. I vomited all over his couch. I remember the next day he said, I'm done. I cannot do this with you anymore. Um, we had only been dating for about five months. He's like, I, I, I can't do this with you anymore. I've picked you up from hospitals. I've tried to help you and you are unhelpable. And I just left and I blamed him for all of that. Like, how could you not love me? How could you, you know, I went through all that emotion. Um, I continued of course to drink. I was still working and, um, it all unfolded on a Saturday at work. I was um, at work and I was drinking during the day, of course, because I was working and that's just what I did. I got off work and I went downstairs in the basement of the, of the place I worked and I continued to drink and I continued to drink a lot. And I can remember one little thing sitting in the office um, of my boss and my really good friend sitting there and she said, I'll never forget these words. We have to call an ambulance. I think she's going to die. And I was pretty much dead anyways. I was 80 pounds. My cheeks were sunk in. My eyes were yellow. My pancreas was pretty much shot and my liver was failing. That's where I was at at this time in my life. Um, I went to the hospital. I don't remember any of it. I just kind of remember going out on a stretcher. You know, here I go on a stretcher. How embarrassing is that for my son, right? Not even thinking of me. I don't think of me in any of this. And go to the hospital. Um, they give me IVs. I, um, get ready to leave and they hand me a piece of paper. It said, your blood alcohol is 0.399. You need to stop drinking, not, Hey, let's get you in a rehab center. Let's do something. That's what the paper said. Um, if you guys Google, you can learn that usually 0.40 or above is coma or death for an alcoholic. Um, 
I left the hospital. I knew I couldn't go to my mom's because they didn't have booze there. And I was not going to stop drinking. Um, at this point, I mean, I felt like I was pretty much useless and there was no point in me living anymore. That's the point of life I was at. I went to a friend's house that I knew they had booze there. And I, I'm a big believer. And I believe that this was all in God's plan for me, because if I wouldn't have went there, I probably wouldn't have had the next experience I had for the next two days because I would have went to my mom's. I would have sobered up. I would have been okay to go to work. Um, instead, I went to my friend's house that I knew she had alcohol. I sat in her living room, got up off her couch probably every hour on the hour just to do a shot of wine, beer, whatever she had in the refrigerator. I mean, I, I remember drinking all kinds of crazy stuff. And I had to work that day at four o'clock as a waitress. I usually managed, but this day was my waitressing day. And as I say, this is God's plan. God knew that I had to stay so drunk to go to work to have what happened the next day happen. I went to work. I tried waiting on tables. I was inebriated. I remember some, I can remember the family that I was waiting on and they were like, Tammy, what is wrong with you? I can remember looking at the piece of paper, trying to ring the order. And I had no idea what the order said. Um, and then I remember the next day. I don't even remember how I got out of work. I don't remember any of it. I know that I lost my apron and all my money and somehow I got home and I woke up on a Monday morning and I called my boss and I was sitting in my living room and I said, please don't fire me. I have to have this job. I have to support my son. I have $500 to my name. And I can't support him with $500 and no job. And he said, let me talk to the other bosses, Tammy, but I don't think we're going to be able to let you have your job. And I ended up getting fired that day. I was devastated. I was devastated. How could this happen to me? I've always had a job. I've never been fired. How could this happen to me? Now, mind you, like I said, 80 pounds, 0.399 alcohol two days before, and I guarantee it was probably 0.40 that day. And dependent on alcohol every day to get through my days, through the shimmers, through the shakes, through the vomiting, all of it. I needed that alcohol. And this day, I am devastated. I sit, I look out my window. We lived in a farmhouse. I looked out and I thought to myself, God, my son is sitting in another room. He's 14 years old. He's going to have no dad because his dad's incarcerated for years. And I'm about to die because that's what point I was in my life that I felt like I was going to die. And I can't have him be raised by his grandparents either side and be a statistic. And God, I need your help right now. And I remember laying on the floor, hitting the floor, crying, screaming, yelling at God, at myself, at my father, at my mother, asking why me? Why did I have to be like this? I didn't want to be like this. I told myself I wasn't going to be like this. I thought I was better than this. I thought I could control this. And God reminded me, child, 
you lost control. You did lose control, but I'm here for you. And I'm going to help you. And I promise you that moment, things were different. Things were so different. Things weren't easy. Things weren't easy from that moment, but things were different. I had, God had put so many great people in my life that I was able to reach out to. I'd been to AA meetings, so I knew what those rooms were like. So I called a couple people that I knew. I said, I need to go to an AA meeting. Can I go with you? And I was able to. I called my good friend whose mom and dad were pastors. And I said, Molly, I need you. I need your mom. And I need your dad to pray for me. I went to her mom's house and knocked on her door. She invited me in. She sat me at her kitchen table. She gave me her Bible. She prayed with me. And she said, Tammy, Read this. Read the Psalms every day. Day one, read Psalms 1, 11, 21, 31, 41, 51. Day two, read Psalms 2, 12, 22, 32. Every day do this, and I will continue to pray for you. Please go get the help you need. Um, oh, for six weeks straight, that's what I did. I read the Psalms. I went to three AA meetings a day. I have the best people in my life. Every day I would go to their houses. I would start at my ex-sister-in-law's house. I would go to an AA meeting. I would go to my good friend, Tanya and Greg's house. I would go to an AA meeting. I would go to my good friends, Tammy and Bridget and Ed and Wes's, and I would go to AA meetings. And I spent all my time with all of them. At the same time, feeling like I'm neglecting my son, but all those years I had been neglecting him. And I told him, Chad, if you can bear with me for just six weeks at least till I can get over this addiction so I can get through this alcoholism. Um, so for six weeks, that's what I did. God provided for me through those six weeks. Um, I am blessed to be here today to share that. Um, I... Oh, that's, that's a little bit of where I came from. That's a little bit of my story of hope. That's where I got to be 17 years ago. Um, I have so much more to my story. I mean, shoot, I have 17 years from then on, but that is just a little bit of where I'm at with my, um, with my story, a little bit of my struggle that got me to the strength of sobriety, a little bit of my story that, hopefully can inspire someone. I cannot wait to share more of my stories with you. But for now, I feel like I needed to tell you a little bit of who Tammy Lynn Connors is and a little bit of where I came from with my sobriety. I hope that you all have a great day. And just remember, it's not a hopeless world. There is so much hope out there and you just have to find it. And it's it's there. And Whatever your belief is, whatever you look to, just reach for it and pray and hope that you can always find the strength to get through whatever it is you're getting through.